All right, all right. I'm so pleased that we get to begin uh, the new year together, the first weekend of the new year. And so uh, wherever you are from, whatever brought you here today, I'm just so pleased that we get to spend, uh, spend part of our weekend uh, together. So uh, a question, question for you. Do you remember the last time that you moved? I mean, everything in boxes, all the boxes out to a moving truck or a moving van, and you unpacked all of the boxes. Do you remember the last time that you moved? Right, when was the last time that you helped somebody move? Now, that's love. That's love, particularly if it involved hefting boxes in an endless parade out to a moving truck. Uh, The last time I helped someone move was less than two months ago. I think it was like six weeks ago, and it was my son. My son and uh, daughter-in-law, their two kids, they were moving just a couple miles from where they lived to a house they had purchased. And so I gave him a call, and I said, hey, I'd love to help out. Can I come help you with your move? And he goes, Dad, I think we got it covered. And he did. But he said that I could bring lunch. It was nice to know that my ATM card was still good for the experience. So I ran to Jimmy John's, I picked up sandwiches, and I turned into the sandwich delivery boy that day, delivering the sandwich, sandwiches freaky fast to uh, the moving crew. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a picture of the group. So I was a sandwich delivery boy and also... Uh, also Photographer, staff photographer. Uh, in this picture, uh, my uh, son and daughter-in-law. There's my other son that's there and my son-in-law, so his brother and brother-in-law. A couple friends from church and also a couple friends that they used to uh, work with. No longer have the same employer, but they kept their relationship going over time. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know what uh, comes to your mind or what you see when you look at that picture, but as I look at that picture, I say... My kids are wealthy. They're rich. And not because of all the stuff that came out of the moving truck. And not that their house that they're moving into was opulent. But because of the people standing in front of the moving truck. They're rich in friendship. They're rich relationally. See, see, the people gathered with them there aren't like a loose uh, acquaintances that they somehow roped into coming and helping them with a the move. They're long-term friendships. They are deepening friendships. My kids are living life together. They're not living life alone And I just look at that picture and love that picture because it is a picture of relational wealth. Now, I want to show you some words written about 3,000 years ago. Uh, Some people believe that these words were penned by King Solomon of Israel. But you would find this brief statement in a Bible in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. And check this out with me. It's just a small statement where he says, two are better than one. Uh, let's play along for a moment. Read that one with me. Ready? Two are better than one. Now, in Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, what the author is about to do, this two are better than one thing is a hinge. And on one side, he paints a portrait of life alone, relational 
poverty. And on the other side of that two are better than one thing, he paints another portrait of life together, relational wealth. And this two are better than one forms kind of a pivot point between these two stories, these two pictures, and these two portraits. And we get to explore this section of scripture together today. But before we jump into the verses, I just want to impress upon you that I think this conversation today is perhaps more critical than it has ever been before. It was a conversation that was needed 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before the time of Jesus. But there are certain uh, characteristics of our culture that make this conversation about going deep with a few other people even more important. Can we talk for a second? This is a phone. And this phone allows me to be loosely connected to everybody while being deeply connected to nobody. Are you with me on this? With this phone, I have the ability to follow the activities of hundreds and hundreds of people, to be superficially connected to hundreds, but at the same time being deeply connected to no one. Now listen, this is the first weekend of 2019. What if, what if at the very beginning of the year, you said to yourself, this is the year when I renew my resolve to invest more deeply in a handful of other people. This is the year that I renew my resolve to love and serve and comfort and grow more deeply with a handful of other people. As we absorb these words together from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I believe that they have the power to leave a lasting and transformational impact in our lives. And so may our gracious God be with us and guide us and mold us and shape us and transform us as we open the scriptures together today. Two portraits, a portrait of life alone, and a second portrait, portrait of life together. We begin with this portrait of life alone. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8, the first half of the verse we have this. There was a man all alone. He had neither son or brother. There was no end to his toil, yet her, his eyes uh, were not content with his wealth. Just kind of checking this out kind of a line at a time. Right at the top, there was a man all alone. The writer wants us to know that this guy has really no significant relationships in his life. No deepening relationships. And then we get to family. It says he had neither son or brother. Now your son or your brother would be the two more most logical places for your estate to go if you died. And so this guy is amassing wealth and really who knows where this money is going to go when the day comes for this guy to breathe his last breath. He has no son. He has no brother. But then it says here there was no end to his toil. This guy is working his tail off. He's the first one in the office in the morning. He's the last one to leave. 
And yet it says, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. The reason there was no end to his toil is because this dude is chasing something that he will never catch. It's one of the problems if our goal is more. There's never a finish line. There's only more. So we have a picture here, we have a portrait here of a person that is wildly successful and deeply lonely, financially set and relationally poverty-stricken. Well, this guy may have been able to amass wealth and business success and financial stability. What he doesn't have is that. I mean, he has a table, but he doesn't have this. People around the table. And we read about this guy, and it's like something in us should go, dude, like, why? Why are you investing all of this time and energy only you know, in uh, career growth and wealth management? Why aren't you investing people? Well, that's the same question he has. It's like the dude wakes up one day and he goes, why in the world am I doing this? Now let's look at the second half of verse eight where he says, for whom am I toiling, he asked. It's like, when I die, where's this stuff gonna go? See, sometimes we're working like crazy. We're working our tail off and yet we can go, I'm doing this for my family. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's not. We can say, I'm doing this for my family. This guy can't say, I'm doing this for my family. He says, so for whom am I toiling? And they go, well, dude, dude, no, listen, at least you're enjoying your money. And he goes, yeah, no, I'm not. He says here, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This is a dude that comes home really late from work. He's tired. He's fatigued. He's on the edge of exhaustion. He's been pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. He heats up leftovers in the microwave and eats standing at his island in his kitchen. He takes a garbage bag out to the garage. He flips on the light in the garage, and as he walks the garbage bag to the garbage can, he looks over at a convertible that he's got. And he stops for a second. He just goes, when was the last time that I took that vehicle out on a summer day with the top down just to enjoy the beauty of the drive and the breeze? He says, did I even get out in that last summer? On the other side of the convertible is a set of nice golf clubs. He goes, I remember when I used to golf for fun. So when was the last time I went out for a round of golf that wasn't an 18-hole business meeting? He's working and working and working. And he's succeeding at work. But he goes, this, this is craziness. And that's where the writer of Ecclesiastes takes us. This is meaningless, a miserable business. This is nuts. This is crazy. Hey, before we leave this portrait, I got to ask you a question. That's not you, is it? 
And some of you say, yeah, no, absolutely. But some of you go, dude, that is so me. That is so me. I am financially set and I am relationally broke. Listen, if you find yourself in that portrait, there's good news. There's a better way to live. And that better way is called life together. But some of you were looking at that portrait and you go, oh, no, 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 that is so not me. I am so not to work 80 hours a week, climb the corporate ladder, get the bigger house. That is so not me. Listen, don't think you're off the hook yet. You see, this guy here was relationally poor because he was preoccupied with career and wealth management. But there are several strains of this disease. It's possible to become relationally poverty-stricken because we are preoccupied with any number of things. You know what I'm talking about here, right? It might not be work. It might be we're preoccupied with our next adventure, our next foodie mecca, our next interesting place that we snap a picture of and post on Instagram, and yet we're missing it. We're connected to everybody and yet really not connected deeply with any. Body. We're preoccupied with our next event, our next trip, our next adventure. There is a way to become relationally poor because we are preoccupied with Netflix. Hey, man, I'm just dialing numbers. If your phone rings, answer it. it the trauma, the tragedy here, the tragedy here is that we can spend so much time watching other people live their lives on TV that we forgot to live ours. It's possible here that we could be more connected to the characters in a series than we are connected to the real people in our world whose lives we could enrich and encourage. What I'm saying here is we could be preoccupied with any number of things and end up relationally poor. It's possible to become preoccupied with not getting hurt again. We were hurt before. We just understand that when you invest in people's lives, when you draw near, there is no such thing. It's a perfectly safe investment. And so you just go, yeah, you know, just safer not to get close. And our preoccupation has become the preoccupation of not getting hurt. And in that, we are missing out on an incredible opportunity to invest, to encourage, to serve, to love, to comfort, to help grow the people around us in a few deepening relationships. That single verse, Ecclesiastes 4.8, I saw a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother, yet there was no end to his toil, no end to his work, and he was still not content with his growing wealth. And one day the guy wakes up and says, who am I doing this for? And why am I not at least enjoying my life? This is intended, it was crafted to cause an emotional reaction in the reader. It was crafted to cause us to go, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to, I don't want to live 
life alone. There's got to be a better way. And there is. And it's the second portrait. And the second portrait, the second picture, the second story, it's a portrait of life together. So we just looked at verse eight. Verse nine is the two are better than one. Verse two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Just just as five words, two are better than one. Don't travel alone. You go, well, okay, dude, uh, convince me. What the writer of Ecclesiastes does next is uh, he exposes us to three different travel hazards. Now, travel is different today because we have you know, automobiles, right? But, but, but back in the day, thousand years before the time of Jesus, you get some distance between villages, uh, between towns. You know, it might be six, 10, 15 miles to the next town. A lot could happen on that road between those stops. So you're taking a business trip together. I mean, you could you twist an ankle, you could break an ankle, you could fall. You could get caught in the cold. If a cold front comes in and you get caught out there at night, you come around a corner. There's three or four thugs there wanting to beat you up and take your money. And so what the writer does here is he says, listen, listen, don't travel alone because it's hazardous out there and you never know when these hazards are going to strike. As much as we try to plan and as much as we try to prepare and as much as we try to control, there are certain elements to life that are unsure, uncertain, and unpredictable. Are you with me on that? Unsure, uncertain, unpredictable. And so the writer says, listen, travel, travel together. Look at, these, look at these road hazards with me, these three road hazards, the, first, the travel hazards. The first is, uh, if either of them, and what's the first one? If either of them, what? Falls down, one can help the other one up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This isn't just like falling on the sidewalk in front of your house. This is like falling between villages, between towns, and there's nobody out there. You break an ankle and you go, am I gonna make it to that town before the sun sets? If the sun sets, there are wolves, there are bears, there are lions, and there are bad people. It's just kind of like road hazard number one. Sometimes, sometimes you fall and need someone to help you get back on your feet. Can I just ask you something? Who are you traveling with? Who are you traveling with? Do you have five, seven, nine people in your life that you could identify, whose names you could write down. And you would say, listen, I'm committed to traveling with them. If they fell, I would be one of the people near them to help, help them get back on their feet. And if I ever took a nosedive, we've invested in each other's lives, we've been journeying together, I believe they would be there for me. Who are you traveling with? Hazard number one, we fall. Hazard number two, we get caught in the cold. It says also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? This, my friends, is a verse in the Bible about spooning. (laughs) It's all I have to say about that. 
you, you, you don't have weather radar. You're on a long trip, a cold front blows in, and if you don't make it to the next village at night, you're kind of camped out by the side of the road, first you start to shiver, and you start to get hypothermic if you're alone. The beauty of this is two people can at least have the advantage of of body heat, road hazard number two. And he moves to the third uh, travel hazard where he says, though one may be, and what does he say there, overpowered, Two can defend themselves. Now, this is a scenario where you're getting jumped. Travel is uncertain, unsure, unpredictable. You don't always see what's around the next corner, and you come around the next corner, and there are three or four thugs there. It's like, listen, if there's two of you, you got a fighting chance, and they might think twice. If it's just you, good luck with that one. We have entered a world that is unpredictable, unsafe, and unsure. And the crazy thing is, you never know when these things are going to happen. Take a fall, caught in the cold, and be attacked by something. It's, it's like this. The relationships we cultivate when nothing is going wrong sustain us when everything is going wrong. The relationships you build when nothing is going wrong help preserve your soul and your emotions when the rug gets pulled out from you and everything is going wrong. Invest when it doesn't feel like there is a massive need to invest because life is unsure, it is uncertain, and it is unpredictable, and you never know what's around the next corner. The car comes out of nowhere. And there's an accident. And now, getting back on your feet physically and emotionally, the depression came out of nowhere. This job change, you didn't see it coming. And suddenly an entire department where you work evaporates. And everybody's job hunting. This little kid that you love and adore, you begin to understand that there are some developmental delays. And you realize when they're two or three that Parenting child number two is going to be a different challenge than parenting child number one. It's the engagement that is called off. It's the second miscarriage. The the, the writer of Ecclesiastes pleads with us, don't travel alone. There will become... Because of the uncertainty of life and unpredictability of life, there will be times when people need you at their side and when you need them. The relationships we build when nothing is going wrong help sustain us. When baby, it feels like everything is going wrong. And so now the writer, to wrap up this conversation, turns to an image, and the image is an image of a rope that is made up of numerous strands. 
And so the second half of verse 12, he just says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Let's read that one together. Ready? A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, he's not talking here simply about rope. He's talking here about people. He's talking here about life together. Alone, I am string. Together, we are rope. It's about strength. It's about stability. It's about staying power. It's about surviving life without breaking. Alone, I am string. Together, we are rope. Let's say that a line at a time. Uh, Alone, we are string. Ready? Alone, we are string. Together, we are rope. Ready? Together, we are rope. Now, th- what we've just explored from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this is just good human advice. I think this is solid advice for any people living anywhere at any time. This is just good life counsel. But about a thousand years after this is written, we have the coming of Jesus, we have the cross of Jesus. And we have the community of Jesus, and everything changes. It's like this whole thing accelerates, takes on brand new significance. Uh, It's like, dude, if this thing about living life together was important before, you can't believe how important this is now with the coming, the cross, and the community of Jesus. And so... uh, You may be familiar with these words from John chapter uh, 13. Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Many of you have seen those verses before. Do not forget when they were spoken. My friend, John chapter 13, the setting is the Last Supper. Jesus will be suspended from a cross within Hours of speaking those words. He's leaving. And he looks at his disciples who he has walked with for three years. And he says, before I go, there's something you have got to comprehend. Love one another as I have loved you. And remember what's about to happen. He's about to give up his life. So you must love one another another. It seems to me that Jesus' strategy for growing and comforting and encouraging his kids was his kids. And so as you get into the writings uh, written to brand new Christians in the first century after the crucifixion of Jesus, you end up with commands like this, uh, uh, love each other, serve each other, carry each other's burdens, build each other up, confess your crimes to each other, pray for each other. Now, 
you can do some of that with a total stranger, right? You can serve a total stranger, kind of a random act of kindness type thing. You can pray for people that you really haven't met yet. So this could be accomplished with strangers. But my friends, I think the beauty of this is when you have a network of relationships, other believers, and you have been investing in each other's lives, and you have taken the time, and you have taken the energy to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and then when something happens, something unforeseen, unpredictable, you are already connected to each other. You already know part of the person's story. You know their temperament. You know part of their life. And you can step in and show love. You can step in and serve. You can help carry their burdens. You can help build that person up. There's an opportunity for a person to say, dude, I blew it last week and I am so embarrassed. But I just got to tell, you're, you're, you're there to hear a confession of someone and you are there to say, I will, this is a mess and I will pray for you. I will commit to praying for you every day. My friends, this I think works best in life together. I guess what I'm saying is, if you just look at those words, love one another and say, here's your responsibility. Everybody take care of everybody. That's kind of logistically challenging to me. But if everyone has something like a, small group where they go, oh, no, 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 this year, dude, this year, I'm looking out for her and I'm looking out for him. I'm looking out for them. I'm looking out for him and I'm looking out. Listen, I can't, I can't look out for everybody, but I'm looking out for them. Uh, it is unrealistic in a church of size that everybody would look out for everybody. It is totally realistic in a church of size that everybody's looking out for somebody. Who are you looking out for? <laughs> who, who are you traveling with? Don't travel alone. Life is uncertain and unsure. It is unpredictable. Don't travel alone. Are any of you familiar with a name? The guy's name is Aaron Ralston. Any of you remember the name? Aaron Ralston, okay. Let me show you a picture of the guy and it might jog your memory just a little bit. This is Aaron Ralston and you can see his right hand has a uh, prosthetic forearm and hand. Any of you recognize the name Aaron Ralston now? All right, some years back he wrote this book. It was called uh, Between a Rock and a Hard Place about a climbing incident that he experienced and later it became a, a movie uh, 127 hours based on that book. See, Aaron Ralston was hiking alone in Canyonlands National Park in Utah. He's in this narrow canyon and an 800-pound rock dislodged and pinned his arm, right arm, to the canyon wall. And there he stood for five days, slowly dying of dehydration. And finally, in an act of absolute desperation, he used the dull pocket knife on his multi-tool to amputate his own arm. By the way, as far as macho stories go, that's about as macho as it gets. Any story that ends, and then I amputated my own arm, is probably a story worth hearing. But do understand something, as macho as it gets, uh, he did walk out of Canyonlands without a limb. 
I first became acquainted with Aaron's story when I was reading a National Geographic adventurer and saw this story on him, and I saw this line that just absolutely stopped me. It said, no one was looking for him. Because nobody knew where he was. I just went, the dude was hiking alone. And nobody knew where he was. He was hiking alone and nobody knew where he was. I just wonder how many of us, looking back on our own individual stories, would just be able to say, Jeff, that was me, man. I ended up in a real mess. I ended up in a real mess because I was hiking alone. And nobody, I mean nobody, actually knew the condition of my heart. Nobody knew where I was. I was hiking alone, and nobody knew where I was. Sometimes we are so afraid of exposure that we simply refuse to tell anybody else where we're trapped, where we're stuck. There's a sense inside where we go, listen, man, if you knew me, if you really knew me, you wouldn't want me. And Christian community, as its best, says, I know you, and I still want you. (laughs) And it is confused, and it is messed up, and you are stuck, but I see you, I know you, and I still want you you. It's the power of life together. This, uh, this will come at some costs. It might require that I set my phone down a little more often. It'll mean that I turn off the TV start living my life rather than simply watching everybody else live theirs, Uh, being as concerned for the characters in my world whose lives I could enrich, and not just the characters playing out a drama on the screen. It could mean that we reevaluate this, how much time and consuming energy is going to building a career. And man, if you got nobody significant that you're going deep with, I just plead with you to rethink that. What this definitely means is that we remember, that we recall that we are Jesus' strategy for growing and serving and comforting and encouraging each other. That when he said, love one another as I have loved you, just wasn't for the first disciples listening to him. But that's a message that cascades through the years into this room today. Live life together want you to say something with me one more time. Together we are rope. Ready? Together we 
our robe. We really are. We really are. I challenge you to make this year, this new year, the year that you resolve anew to build deeply and to grow deeply with a handful of other people that you are traveling with. And so we thank our gracious God for bringing us together on this beautiful weekend to open the word and to explore it and to receive guidance for our lives. We give thanks that we were here in each other's company and in God's presence to learn and grow and move. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.